Welcome to Legacy Church. Thank you for joining us in our journey to see our potential in Christ become a legacy in our community. We hope that you are encouraged by this word from Pastor Chad Owens and pray that you will walk away with something incredible from your time here with us. Welcome him. Welcome Pastor Logan as he comes this morning. Thank you guys so much. Hey, how, how many of you guys are glad that we, we're at a church that is attuned to the Spirit? And when we need a time to, to just sit in reverence of who the Lord is, we don't try and rush. We don't try and get past the moment. We don't try and push things forward. But um, I'm just so just blessed to, to sit under leadership that just uh, is just so fine-tuned with the Spirit because uh, exactly what he said is kind of on the topic of my message today. Uh, but I hope you guys had a great Christmas. I know that I had a great Christmas. I just wanted to give you two little insights on my Christmas so that you can know more about me. Um, and if you want to tell me about you afterwards, I'm down for that. Um, two things. Uh, one, I got a brand new pair of shoes, uh, and I, they're awesome. Some of my favorite shoes I've ever gotten. The one thing that is bad is that no one has asked me if they made me run any faster, um, which, so being an adult is kind of dumb. So, because no one asked me that. Um, they used to always ask me as a kid. And I remember racing my friends in the bathroom at Westbrook. Um, because we were, we'd get new shoes and we would race each other. So if anybody wants to race me after church, we can meet in the Fellowship Hall and do that real quick. It'll be a quick race because, yes, they do make me faster, if you were wondering. Um, and then the second thing, probably my favorite thing that I got for Christmas, Shelby got. It only cost $5, um, probably one of my favorite things that she got me. Um, and so in order to understand what it is and why it is, uh, I want to play just a real quick video for you, and then I'll explain it. So uh, one of the things Shelby got me, she got me one of those bells. And uh, so in 2020, it is a New Year's resolution of ours to uh, teach our cat how to ring a bell for a treat. Um, we're not going to keep it out all of the time. We've been doing it. We do about two times a day um, to make sure that she gets it. And she does not get it yet, but she is getting there. Uh, and I, it's going to take longer than I thought. I said maybe a week, and it's going to probably take months. Um, but it's going to happen. And if we don't do anything else this year, our cat will ring a bell for a treat by the end of 2020. Um, but I'm really excited to speak to you guys this morning. I'm really excited to get that opportunity to speak. Uh, I really believe wholeheartedly uh, that God has set this whole season up in my heart uh, for this moment. And I, at the beginning of December, I was, I was sitting and having lunch with some friends of mine, um, and, and I felt God just drop a word into my heart. And, and I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. I didn't know if it was one of those ones that's just for me to encourage me. But as soon as my dad asked me to speak, um, I knew that it was for this moment. I knew that I had found the reason why God had dropped this into my heart. And um, because I hope that something said today, whether it was in worship, whether it was in, it's going to be in the, in the message or, or what was said earlier, I just hope that something said today will be a catapult or a catalyst that you need to head into 2020, not with a new direction necessarily, not with some new brand new divine direction, um, but maybe a new attitude towards a direction that you're already going. Maybe a new, a new vision, a new pair of lenses in front of the direction that you may already be headed in. Because I think something happens in our culture around New Year's um, and New Year's resolutions and all the things that we talk about it when we get to the end of the year. Um, that we feel like on January the 1st, we're going to be dropped in uh, to a brand new life. That things are going to be completely different. That, thing, that I'm not going to be the same person that I was. I'm going to do all the best things and the right things. And... And I'm never going to have any struggles this year because 2020 is my year. And I hope that's the case for most of you guys. I hope that's the case for at least some of you guys. But what I do know is that that's not always the case. Sometimes, if I can be real with you guys, 
you go into the, ne- the new year and you bring some stuff with you. You bring some problems, you bring some struggles, you bring some people, you bring some circumstances, you bring some thoughts, you bring some negativity, you bring some junk that you had in, in, in 2019 and you're going to bring it into the new year. And let me just encourage you right out of the bat, right off the bat, right out of the gate, God is going to be there just like in 2019 and 2020. God will be with you to carry those things with you in the new year, no matter what you bring over into the new year. But I do want to share with you guys this morning something that I believe can give you hope in this last few days of of 2019 and really set you up for success in 2020. Because who in here wants to fail in 2020? Not me. I want success. I need some ideas. I need some tips, some tricks to make sure that 2020 is my year, is the best year ever. But uh, I'm not sure about you guys. I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this once or twice. I know that I've put a lot of thought into it the past few uh, weeks and days. Um, at my house, it is still Christmas time. Um, we still got our Christmas tree up, decorated. Shelby turns the lights on every day. Um, and we still celebrate because Christmas time is the best time of the year. And we're going to celebrate Christmas all year long. And we're just, we're, until that tree dies, we are keeping it in our house um, until it catches fire. And we got to move houses. I'm keeping that tree in. Um, no, but. I thought about this, and I, and I don't know if you've thought about it. I know it's not a new thought. Um, I truly believe that we should shorten December. I think should, December should be shorter than it is days-wise. I think at most we should only have um, 26 days in December. We get Christmas Day, and then next, the next day is New Year's Eve, and we're just ready for the new year. We should shorten it because the, the short six days or so that come after Christmas Day feel more like purgatory than anything else. Right? We don't really believe in purgatory as like a Christian you know, pillar of faith. Um, but if there is a purgatory, that's what it is. It's the six days between Christmas and New Year's where nobody seems to know the rules. <laughs> nobody seems to know what's going on. Nobody seems to know what you're doing. You have a lot of questions, right? You've got a lot of questions. Maybe you've asked a question kind of like, uh, you know, should I just should I throw these Christmas leftovers out? Or like five days, it's December the 30th, right? So five days, it's been in the fridge, it's still... It smells good. I mean, I, should pro- I could probably eat this for lunch tomorrow. Maybe you've asked the question, if you're like me, I ask the question every year. Um, do I need to just continue to eat junk food until the beginning of the year and just kind of just ruin my diet for the rest of the year? We'll just chalk 2019 up. We'll get it started in 2020. Maybe you've asked that. Or now that I'm an adult, um, it kind of hits me a little bit more often. And I guess you guys have asked that, especially when Christmas falls on Wednesday. But should I go to work until the new year? I mean, it's, it's weird. Like, Christmas Day and then you got Thursday and Friday. Do I go those days? Is anybody even going to be there? So I think that we should just shorten December because that time of waiting is the most irritating time of the year. Like, I thought waiting until Christmas was irritating, but waiting until the New Year is irritating because I don't know what I should do. Should I stay in sweatpants or should I like put pa- like regular pants on? Like, what is it that I'm supposed to do? It's just it should be removed to alleviate some of that confusion, and maybe that I'm the only one in here that, that feels that way. But something, there's something so strange about the season of nothingness. There's something so strange about the season of nothingness, and that's what I feel like it's only rightfully deemed that is the six days is the se- you have the season of Christmas. Happiest time of the year. You got the season of nothingness, which is bleh. And then you've got the season of the new year and whatever comes after that. But uh, I just, it's so hard for me to imagine a life after a certain point. There's a lot of things that you do that you've got to wait until that point to know what is actually coming. Like, and when you get married, you've got to wait until you get married to know what it is to be like after you're married. Like, I just didn't know 
what was expected. And, and the time frame up until that point was just like nerve-wracking to me. I didn't know how I was gonna how I was gonna do what it was gonna be like. I can't stand wandering or not knowing what that next step is. And something that me and Shelby did this year, and I, I thought it was impossible. I didn't know that you could actually do this. Um, but we got all of our Christmas shopping done within the first two weeks of December. We were done. Like we had like one or two like stocking items to get, or like for those family members that were on the outskirts, we're like, oh, that's right. Like, we'll just give them $10. Like, you know, we, we got it all done within the first two weeks of December. And that's great. If you've never done it before, it felt really great up until a point that I realized um, that is really probably just a personal problem is that since we got it all done and wrapped, I had to stare at it for 25 days until I figured out what, what it was. Because I hate surprises. Shelby loves surprises. She didn't care. She didn't want to know. Don't tell me. Don't want to know what it is. I do the thing where I'm like, you want to just like exchange like one gift, you know, I've got like a small one that you'd like, and like if you've got a small one that I like, or a big one, I mean, if we can, whatever you want, and, and of course it's met with a no every single time, I just can't stand waiting, because the time in between significant moments makes me nervous, because I don't know what's about to happen, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what I should be doing in that time, and maybe that's where you are this morning. We've come out of the holiday season, everything was great, you had a great time, or maybe you didn't have such a great time, but you're hoping that this next time that we're about to walk into, 2020, is going to be good, and, and you don't, you're not sure what's, what it's going to hold. Now we're, you know, who are you going to be in the new year? You don't know who, who you want to be, because I, I know in my life, I'm, a, I'm sort of different than I was at the beginning of, of this last year. I know that I try and grow and change, and that is always necessary, growth and change, but it's just unnerving not knowing what the end of this next year is going to look like. In a year, what is, what is my life going to look like? But I believe that today that God has something in store if you have that question. I believe that today that you are not here by accident. I believe that today, even though you walked in and you thought Pastor Chad was going to give you a great message, I'm just going to give you a good one. It's still going to be good. You know, I think, that, I think that you are here on purpose. I think that God has an answer for you. Maybe not, and you've, I feel like every Sunday we say this, maybe not the answer you need or you want but the answer that you need. Maybe not the answer that you want, but the answer that you need. So pray with me this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, God. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that we get to come to your house and worship you for all that you are, your love and compassion and mercy. God, I pray that something that is said today, whether it's in the worship time or the prayer time or, or the sermon, God, that you would speak to us a new thing and you would get us ready for the new season. For 2020, God, we're going we're gonna to strive to be more like you, God, every single day, and it starts today. We thank you for all of that and ask your precious name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If you don't, we've got it on the screen. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through the end of the chapter. Um, and just some backstory, if you, if you've, if you recognize Luke 2, we, we read it last week. Um, the beginning of Luke 2 is the birth of Jesus and what's going on. And then you move down to Luke verse twenty, Luke chapter 2, verse 22, and then you've got this small time jump of about 40 days uh, when Jesus is a little over a month old. Mary takes him to be purified in front of the priest. It was just kind of the, the, what they had to do. So after the 40 days, you've got the time jump between Jesus' birth and verse uh, 22. And then we're going to jump forward about 12 years, starting in verse uh, 41. So in the timeline of Luke, you've got all these small time jumps, and you've got all these these periods of time that we don't know exactly what's going on, but um, when it comes back and we, we start to read, we can kind of tell what has happened uh, in that time. And so 
Um, you see these events take place. You see Jesus' birth, which was incredible. They had to wait for this moment, and it had finally came. And then you've got to wait, and you've got a, a little bit of waiting period. And then he goes, and he's purified at the temple because as a custom for all baby boys, that's what, just what had to happen. So you have that period of waiting period that we don't really know what's going on. And then you've got the period after, about 12 years in Luke, that we don't really know what happens. And then it, we, we pick it up in this story. And then after the story, there's another time jump in Luke chapter 3 that tells of the story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus and preparing him for ministry. And then it's got the, it ends Luke chapter 3 with the, the genealogy of Jesus, the fun stuff, all the names that we can't pronounce. And then it goes into Luke chapter 4 where Jesus walks into a time of testing. Jesus walks into the wilderness to be tested. But before all of that happens, this has to take place. Before all of the tests that are about to come, what we're going to talk about today had to take place in order for Jesus to be ready, about, uh, to be ready for it. It all pays off. And it starts in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. So read along with me. It says this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They did not, uh, they, then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Verse 46, after three days, they did find him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw them, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus says back to her, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house, in verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. All the parents say, amen, amen. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so what we have here, what we have uh, going on in the story is we see Jesus' parents doing um, what they were supposed to do. As Jews, they had this Jewish culture of the Passover where they had to travel and they had to go to a distant land, um, but they lived, you know, in Galilee. They had to go to back to Jerusalem. Um, so they were doing what they were supposed to do, and Jesus was following along. He was finally able to come with them. At 12 years old, he was able to come with them to Passover. And then you kind of get this, like, home alone type story plot. You know, I like, to, I like to see, like, what in the Bible mirrors culture. And one of my favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone. And so but when, I, when I read this, this sounds just like it to me. And so you get this home alone type story plot. The, the, the festival was over. Everyone, you know, w had a great time, and they're starting to leave and go back home to their homes, that, for, you know, for those who lived outside of Jerusalem. Um, but in this moment, it doesn't tell us why, and we kind of find out towards the end of the, the, the chapter, but you get uh, Jesus who stays behind. And it, it's funny that they don't realize it off the bat. Like, you feel like, as a family, if you think about Home Alone, they had a checklist. You know, they're like, how many people do we have? Like, one, two, three, four, five, and they, of course, miscount or whatever, and they, they misplace them. But the same type of things ha thing happens, and they, they leave, and they travel for a whole day before they realize that Jesus is not with them. Before they realize, hey, don't we have a son? I haven't seen him in a few days. Where, where could Jesus be? So they start checking, and they're checking with their family and their, their relatives and their village mates or whatever. I don't even know what you call it. Other villagers. Like, they start checking around. They can't find Jesus. And so immediately, like parents would do, they panic. 
They're like, oh my goodness, we left Jesus somewhere. We don't even know where he's at. We just left him somewhere. So they have to travel. They traveled a day, right, until they realized that Jesus wasn't there. So it's presumable that they probably traveled a day unless they turned the jets on and were going about 90 miles an hour on them donkeys. And so they traveled back to Jerusalem. So it at least took them, I don't know, 12 hours. Maybe they did it in half the time. So it took them about two days to get back to Jerusalem. And when they got there, it wasn't an easy task to find Jesus. It wasn't something that they just like had GPS on them or, or Life360 and they just walked right up and were like, all right, let's go. Like, this is easy. No, like they had to search for Jesus. And if you don't know about Jerusalem in this time, it was said that the population was between 70 to 80,000 people on a regular day. And on days during Passover, on, on festival days where all the Jewish people congregated in this one area, it could be upwards of 500,000 people. And so if you think about it, they had that many people to search through. I'm sure people had left. Some villages had, made the, had started the journey back because Passover was over. But they, the, the, the Bible talks about people staying around and, 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 and communing together even after, after Passover. So they had between 70 to 500,000 people to search through to find one person. So it wasn't an easy task. They, they had a lot to have. They had a lot to do. They had a lot of houses to check. They had a lot of, you know, family and relatives that they needed to check with. Days passed, about five days passed without finding Jesus. They had no clue where he was, and they finally find Jesus. They finally find him, and where is he? Where is he? He's sitting in the temple courts teaching, preaching, asking questions, and listening to God's word in the least possible place that they would think about finding Jesus. Because if you, if you put it into their context, they didn't have kids' church. Like, Jesus didn't go back to, like, legacy kids, and there was, like, a bunch of videos playing, and they're like, like, they, like no, he, it's the least likely place that you would think to find a kid was sitting at the feet of these long-bearded men with staves and robes. Like, he was, he was somewhere that they didn't expect him to be. But he was exactly where he needed to be. He was exactly where he needed to be. And then Mary looked at him and asked, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching for you. And Jesus' answer was, I, I see it as probably kind of nonchalant, like he felt like he, they should have known this. But he looks at him and said something that comes from a more spiritual, spiritually deep place than I think they realized at the time. What Jesus looks and said to them is, didn't you know that I had to be at my father's house? What took you so long to get here? Why was this not the first place that you checked? I've got to be, so other translations say, I've got to be about my father's business. And at this moment, it comes back to them that, oh man, this isn't just any old person. This isn't any old son. This is the Messiah. Yes, Joseph is his father, but there's so much more going on in Jesus's life that we haven't seen yet, and we've got to start thinking about it. And so, and so Jesus does exactly what he needed to be doing. He was sitting at the feet of, of teachers and leaders and growing in relationship with his father. At this point, people didn't have a relationship with God. It was ritualistic. It was religion. They, they had a certain set of rules that they were following. They had a certain time that they had to do certain things. But Jesus starts growing in relationship with his father by sitting at his feet and listening to what he had to say. So this morning, I just want to speak to you a few minutes on something that I've been feeling in my heart for the past few weeks and I hope that you hear what I'm saying correctly, because I think it's so important for us to grasp onto. And it's this, in the midst of Mary and Joseph's panic, there was peace where Jesus was. In the midst of Mary and Joseph's unawareness, in the midst of their wondering, in the, in the midst of their anxiousness, and their anxiety, 
there was peace where Jesus was. Where Jesus had placed himself allowed him a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus found peace not in his parental security. We have to remember Jesus was 12. Jesus was a boy. Yes, Jesus was God. Yes, he had, you know, he had, you know, the, the characteristics that God had, but he was fully human. He experienced fear. He experienced doubt. You know, he experienced all the things that we felt. So just as a 12-year-old boy probably thought, where are my parents? Why am I alone? I guess I'm just going to, like, hang out here. Like, he, he chose to stay back, but I'm sure he was like, oh, they'll, they'll find me in a, a few hours. They're not going to go a whole day without, like, realizing that I'm not there. Surely, like, they love me, right? Like, like normal parents. But Jesus didn't find his peace in parental security. He didn't find it in himself. He didn't find it in a job. He didn't find it in the hustle and the busyness of life. He found it sitting at the feet of his father, learning about what God had for him, learning about what was going on and what he needed to prepare for to do the ministry that was in his life. And so my question and my really only point, it's not a point more, it's more of a question. My question to you this morning, where do you run to when you need peace? Where do you go when you need peace? Where do you run to when you need answers? Where do you run to when you need to find what you've lost? I find it the case uh, often during this season of nothingness uh, between Christmas and New Year's that I start to really put thought into what the next year is going to look like. I like to plan. I like to make sure everything goes according to that plan. And when things don't, it upsets me. Um, just being real with you guys. Um, so these last few days of the year, I really start to say, like, all right, here's what I need to do by March. Here's what I need to do by, like, April, which is the next month. I'm, I'm that meticulous. Like, here's what I need to do by April the 13th. Like, I, I'm just, I, that's how I do. And so I start to think about it really, really close. I look at it really closely towards the, the last few days. Um, and what happens with a, without a doubt, if I'm, especially if I'm not, grounded in my devotion life, grounded in my prayer life, grounded in, in finding who Jesus is calling me to be in that moment, is that no matter the time that I spend planning or trying to figure out what the next year is going to hold, I will always be anxious about what is truly going to happen. If I'm not grounded in who I know God is in my life and the peace that he gives me when I find myself at his feet, then I'm always going to be anxious because I can't tell what's going to happen in this new year. At the beginning of 2019, I promise you, I promise you, I did not see the pain that my cars were going to put me through in my budget in 2019. I did not see it. I did not think I was going to need a new set of tires on both cars. I did not think that I was going to need new brakes on both cars. And I also didn't think that I would need a new front left wheel bearing, who even knows what that is, on both cars. Both cars had the same problems, the same problems. At the beginning of 2019, if you were like, hey, how much money do you think you're going to spend on your cars this, this, you know, this year? I'd have been like, mm, hopefully oil changes, and that's it. And no, I, I mean, I felt like I was just like at Bob's Tires every 10 days. Like, you should know who I am by now. Just keep my credit card. Like, you know, let's just, you know, you just have this. I did not see that coming because things happen throughout the year that you can never plan for. Things happen that you can never see coming. And what happens when in, in the season of nothingness, when I'm trying to plan for the next year, if I'm not careful, I allow those things to pop back up in my mind and make me nervous for what's going to happen next year. Before I'm even in the new season, I'm already negative. Before I'm even in what's happening next, I'm already wondering, man, 
how much I'm going to spend on my cars next year. Like, maybe we can just get by with gas, and I'll just, you know, I'll ride that oil all the way to the end of the year and try to recoup some of that money. I start to get negative. I start to get nervous. I start to doubt whether or not is my plan going to be good enough? Is it going to be on target enough? And I begin to lose peace before the bad thing ever happens. And I'm sure after Mary and Joseph misplaced Jesus, they were a little bit more observant after that experience. They probably looked for him a little bit longer the next time that they left and went to Passover. Um, and I'm sure no one ever prepared them for that moment. And so their anxiety and their panic mode probably wasn't unwarranted. They probably were <laughs> acted just about as anybody would when you misplace your firstborn child. And not only your firstborn child, but the Messiah. Like, you, you, really, you really messed up. You just lost Jesus. Like, I... Let's hope that he's okay. So no one prepared them for that. No one, no one said like, hey, it's going to be okay. Just check the temple. No one prepared them for that. But what happened? They panicked. If you can, and it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say word for word that they were in panic mode, but you can tell by what Mary said. Why have you been doing this to us? Why have you done this to us? But if you also think about it, Mary and Joseph just came back from Passover which is a time of celebration in who God is. In the Jewish culture, it was reverence of who God was. It was reminding every single one of them that God was this great and powerful being that was looking over them. They had spent time in the temple and left quicker and lost peace. They got up and left. They said, oh, this is it. Our, you know, check that off the list. We're good Jews for the, for the year. We're all right. Like, let's just keep going. And they lost peace immediately. But what happens? We, we, we don't see... Really, the second side of the story, maybe I just do because I'm, you know, I'm the youngest person you know. Um, I look at it from Jesus' perspective. Jesus was a 12-year-old boy who was away from his parents for five days. And when they found him, what did he look like? Peaceful. Sitting at the feet of his father, listening, preaching, teaching, asking questions, trying to learn more about who he was supposed to be in his father. Because he knew what he was called to do. He knew what he was called to do. When the world didn't look like we thought it would look, when the world didn't look like what Jesus thought the world should look like, being with his parents, they should know where he's at, he knew what he was called to do. Find himself at the feet of Jesus. And so maybe this, this, this time you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Maybe in this season of nothingness you don't know what's supposed to happen. You don't know the rules. You actually haven't been to work in the past week, and that's fine. But find yourself at the feet of Jesus to prepare you for what's coming next, to prepare you for what's coming next. Jesus' reaction looked a little bit different, and he had a peace that we can have as well. Paul describes this peace um, to us in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, and in verse 7, it really underlines this peace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not human peace. Not a peace that you and I know of, like we've got enough money in our bank account right now. Or, or we've, our house isn't falling apart at the moment, where our roof still works. Not a peace like that, but a, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. That means when we can't understand, there's still peace. 
that when we don't know what's happening, there's still peace. When I was having lunch with my friends, they were, we, were, we were just going, uh, going along and, you know, just ex- we get lunch about once a month to just kind of catch up with each other. Um, and there were some situations, circumstances that they were explaining about, you know, things that they were going through. And I was just like, man, like, I, I understand you, but are you at peace with it? Do you, I know that you don't know what the next year is going to hold for you, but are you at peace with it? Do you say that you have peace and still worry, or do you actually have peace? Are you going to have enough peace to let your hands go and let God like deal with it and take the situation? Or are you going to hold so tightly until you can finally figure out how to get past it without dying? I mean, what does peace actually look like in your life? A peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. And in that, that's found in the fact that the Lord is near to us. When we are near to the Lord, that's where we find peace. Mary and Joseph was looking for Jesus. They were looking for peace. Their, their peace was found in Jesus being there with them, but Jesus' peace was found sitting at the feet of his Father. It says this in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When we are brokenhearted about what has happened this last year, we can be certain that God is near to us. When we are crushed in spirit, not knowing what will happen this next year, we can be at peace knowing that the Lord is near to us. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the crushed in spirit. But we have to find peace sitting at his feet, listening and asking questions like Jesus did in that temple. We have a lot of questions every single day. Research says that we actually make about 35,000 choices a day. 35,000 choices in a single day. If that's not a little bit terrifying to you guys, I don't know <laughs> what could be. That's, that makes me anxious. Man, am I going to make the right choices? Out of 35,000, I can't be making all of them, right? Like, there's, there's no way. But what does it say in Philippians chapter 4? But in every situation, in every situation... Not in some of them, not in the majority of them, not in a few of them. In every situation through prayer, we can find peace. In every situation through prayer and request to God, God, help me to make the right choice. Help me to make the best choice that I can in this situation. Look, I know sometimes it's not always going to be the, the, the right choice is not going to be on the table. You just got to make the best choice that you can at the time. But you can make those with peace knowing that God is still there with you. Look, you're going to mess up. You're going to fall. You're going to make bad choices. But like I said at the beginning, God is going to be with you to walk with you through them. Whatever comes after that choice, God is there with you to walk with you through them. Why? Because if we're finding ourselves in his presence like we should be, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. God promises to guard you. When you make the choices that he's calling you to make, he promises to guard you. When you make the choices that that's the only choice, that's the only option that you have to, to have, to, it's the only option you have to make. When you find yourself at his feet, he will guard you in making those choices. I don't want to be the type of person that just stands up here and preaches peace and then walks off the stage and forgets what I'm preaching. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Lord, I don't... I don't know. I'm, can I just? Can you? Can you just do this so that I can do this? Can you just give me a little bit more understanding of the situation, and I think I could figure it out on my own? No, I want to preach peace so much that look, I can say to myself, I can say to people around me, I don't know what's about to happen, 
but I know who's going to be there with me when it does. I don't know what's about to happen, but I have a peace that God is going to walk with me through it because I'm finding myself where you guys are sitting right now, at the feet of Jesus, learning and growing and asking questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. God, I don't know what's going on. Look, and if you aren't going to give me the answer, that's fine, but at least tell me what, where can I find you more? In what do I need to do? How do, what do I need to take out or add to my life that I'm going to be able to find you easier the next time? How can I prepare myself for what's coming next? And that's by sitting in his presence. I think we can be too quick to leave God's presence. And I, that's why I think this morning that was so necessary for us to just spend that time not saying anything, not necessarily even praying, not necessarily you know, singing a song, but just sitting in God's presence just sitting there and waiting for him to speak to us, waiting for him to, to reveal something on our hearts. That's so necessary. We want answers, and we want them now. You know, we say a quick prayer before we go into a situation that we should have been praying for days before. I can remember being a, a student and being like, Lord, I've told him the past few weeks because it's finals time. Lord, I, I ain't going to pass this final. <laughs> like, I really need you to help me pass this final because if not, I'm not going to have a rear end. My mom's taking it from me when I get home. I, I need you. You know when I prayed that? Right before the test. It was never like a week like, Lord, you know, help me in this test next week and let me do my part and study like a normal kid. That was always like reactionary. Lord, I forgot to study and I really need your help. But what are we doing? What timing are you looking for to pray those prayers of, of preparation? Are you praying them before the situation? Or are you waiting until the situation hits? Sometimes we're just called to sit in his presence and listen. On my watch, a few times throughout the day, if it senses that my heart rate goes up, which happens because, you know, I don't get to the gym as much as I need to, but what happens, like, when it goes up for no reason, um, it reminds me to breathe. It's like, hey, you need to take, take a minute, a solid minute, breathe deeply, because it can help with stress. And I'm like, okay. I don't, I don't do it all the time. It pops up too often, I guess. I get too anxious about things. Um, but the few times that I do breathe for a solid minute and think about my breathing. Uh, I like to also refocus my mind and refocus my spirit because whatever is happening in that moment is taking too much attention already. Whatever is going on in that moment that's causing my heart rate to, to spike in, in the need for me to breathe, it's already taking too much of my mental state already. Because when I allow those things to shoot my heart rate up and I start to get over, like, overworked and I just don't know what's happening, chances are I'm not focused on peace anymore. Chances are I'm focused on everything besides peace. And so when that pops up and, and, the, and the off chance that I actually do it, not only do I focus my breathing, but I like to refocus my mind. When it pops up, even if I don't do the breathing, I start to think, what's making me feel like this? What's making me anxious? What's raising my heart rate? Is, you know, what do I need to take out? What do I need to refocus? God, I want you. That's it. I don't know what this is, what's about to happen. I don't know what's going on, but I want you and I try to refocus my eyes. And I think it's, it's important. And it shows us, uh, shows us that in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 25, it says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. No, no matter where I look in this earth, I'm not going to find what I'm needing. God doesn't reside in temples made by human hands. He resides in your heart. And how does he get in your heart? By spending time with him. 
spending time in his presence. In verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Life and breath and everything else. Even down to my breath, I can be reminded that Jesus is there. Even down to me focusing my breathing for a minute and refocusing my eyes, I can be reminded that Jesus is there, that God gives us the air that we need to breathe. And if I can take moments throughout the day to remember that, I can begin to find peace. It's not going to happen instantaneously. It's not going to be a decision that you make today and walk out and you're going to be perfect at it. But it's taking moments during the day to search for God's peace and to search for God's peace in his presence. Not to search for God's peace in, in the fact that you get paid on Friday or the fact that you, you know, you've got enough you know, food at the house to make for the next few days until you get paid or, or, or that your job security is good. No, but you're finding peace in his presence and you're taking moments throughout the day to do that. But we only can find that if we model ourselves after Jesus who went beyond religion and began to develop his relationship with the Father at the feet of his Father. Shelby, if you would come up, please, as I'm getting prepared to close. A few weeks ago, I was preparing a message uh, for the youth, and I came across a guy who presented this cycle of um, life that he tends to find himself in. He says that he finds himself every, every day in this cycle of one of these three things. He says that I'm either about to walk into a storm, I am in the middle of a storm, or I'm coming out of a storm. That he, he finds himself every day, he's either about to walk into a storm, he's already in the middle of one, or he's just coming out of one. And I think that, I think that there's truth there. But I don't like what he focuses on. I don't like that he focuses on the storm. Because his whole cycle is dependent on when the storm hits. And I think that there's truth there. I think that, I think that what, what's going on, the, kind of how he figured that out is true. I feel like that, that is most of our times. But what I would rather focus on is what are we doing to prepare? What are you doing before and after a storm? If you're about to go into the storm, how long have you been preparing for that storm? If you're about to go into something that you know that you're not going to be able to handle, how long have you been preparing for that? And you're in the midst of the storm, what are you doing? Are you worrying? Are you anxious? Are you, are you just taking the blows and, and, and just trying your best to, to come out on your feet? What are you doing in the midst of the storm? And if you're coming out of one, what are you going to do differently? How are you going to prepare for the next storm? Are you going to focus for months and years on the storm that you just came out of? Man, that really beat me down. Man, that, that, was, a, that, was, man, that was at my lowest. That was, that was tough. I wasn't ready for that. Or are you going to say, you know what? I got to change some things. I got to change some things. I got to prepare. Last time I wasn't prepared, but I know I don't know how long it's going to be until the next storm hits, but I'm going to prepare. I'm going to get ready for that storm. I'm going to have peace in the midst of the storm because I'm going to find myself sitting in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to find myself sitting at the feet of him, teaching, asking questions, Maybe you don't feel like you can teach yet. You've got something to offer. Finding yourself in the presence of Jesus. Right now, we're in the in-between. You've still got a few days before 2020 hits. You've still got a few days to figure out what your resolutions are. You still have a few days to prepare. 
to decide who you're going to be in the new year. Are you going to just go with the flow, take the blows as they come? Lord, just, you know, how, you know be with me, I guess. <laughs> I'm about to walk into a, a fist fight with somebody. Be with me. Or are you going to prepare for that before it happens? And maybe you're in this storm right now. Maybe you're about to carry over a storm into the new year. It happens. But do you have peace about it? Maybe you're carrying a storm that, that you thought was going to be over by the end of this year. Are you at peace about it? Do you truly have peace? Or is it like, how are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Do you truly have peace about the situation? Have you been sitting at the, at the feet of the Father looking for peace? And maybe in 2020, you're about to walk into one of the hardest storms you've ever walked into. Can I encourage you now? Prepare. Find peace. If you can't find an answer, find peace. Maybe peace is your answer. Peace will help you to be okay with what's happening while God fixes it. Peace is what's going to get you through it knowing that you're going to come out alive. That nothing that can happen is going to break you down further than God is going to be there to catch you. Peace. Peace. I'm done faking peace. I'm not doing it anymore. I can't get worked up over something that wouldn't upset God. Because I know God has me. I know God is, is going gonna, gonna to keep me in the palm of his hand. He's going he's gonna to feel every tear that I cry. Because that's who he is. And he comes near to me when I'm brokenhearted, when I'm not prepared, when I don't have it all together. But when I'm sitting at his feet, when I'm searching for him, when you're waiting for the good or the bad moment to begin, instead of falling into the trap of anxiety and worry, enter into the presence of the Father. When you're, look, I don't know whether something good is about to happen or something terrible is about to happen, but all I know is I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to let anxiety break me down. I'm not going to let worry tell me that it's not going to be okay. I'm going to enter into the presence of the Father and prepare and ask for peace. God may never give you an answer. God may never bring you out of the storm, but God will always give you peace. God will always give you peace, a peace that transcends all understanding, surpasses anything that you could see that you could grasp onto, a peace that is for every single one of us. Jesus asked this question that I want to be my attitude when people can't find me, when people are looking at, asking why everything's okay, my life seems to be going the wrong way. Jesus asked this question, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? You've been looking for me in all the wrong places. I don't know what circumstance you're about to bring to my life, but I can tell you this, I've got peace. I've got peace. So you bow your heads with me this morning. Maybe you need peace. Maybe you find yourself in one of those three cycles. I don't know where you are this morning, and I don't know what you're walking through, what you're going to walk through, what you just came out of. But what I can guarantee you is that if you continue to find yourself in God's presence, nothing can shake you. If that's you this morning and, 
And you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I, maybe I have been having a false peace and, and still been trying my best to keep my hands on the situation. But today you said, that's it. I don't want false peace anymore. I want real everlasting peace that I can't understand. Just lift your hands and I just want to pray with you real quick. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to I'm not going to do anything crazy. I just want to pray a peace over your life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, we come to you this morning. God, and we thank you. God for the incredible plan and purpose that you have for every single one of us. We thank you for the incredible things that you could do in our lives that we could never do on our own. We thank you that even in the times that we fall, that you're still there walking with us, God. You're still there waiting for us to, to find peace in your presence. And I pray that you would just begin to reveal that to us day by day as we prepare for the new year, as we walk into the new year, that you would reveal us your peace, your presence, your plan. God, because in in you, we find what we need. God, we may not find the answers we want, God, but we find the peace that we need. God, I pray a peace over, over this place, God, that everyone that walks out of here would just be so confident and bold that they can look problems in the face and say, I don't know what's happening, God, but I know that you're here. God, I know that you're going to take care of it. God, whatever the answer may be, I have peace. God, I pray a blessing over each and every one of us. God, help 2020 to be the best year that we've had thus far. God, that we have a peace like we've never had before. We thank you, God, this morning. We praise you. And we ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us at Legacy Church. Stay tuned in to our website for updates on events and check out other messages under the online listening tab. We'd love to see you, so join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. or Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Have a blessed day.